Live from Mexico City, this is The Morning Break with Graham Stanley and you are listening live. Good morning. On today's show, I'll be asking ChatGPT what it thinks about teaching and what it believes are the major challenges that teachers face at the moment, as well as asking it for advice on how teachers can face those challenges. If you're listening live, come and join me. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or join in the conversation by downloading the Podbean app and following Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag TT Radio. Hello and welcome to the morning break. The topic of today's show is educational challenges, one of the major challenges that teachers face. However, the topic of today's show is also ChatGPT because all of the answers and the words spoken by the guests are uh, have been produced by this chatbot. I've taken them and had text-to-speech AI called Lobo speak them uh, uh, two. So to that extent, you could say that my guest on today's show is ChatGPT. Let's hear what this chatbot has to say about educational challenges, about teachers and teaching. And then after this, there'll be an opportunity for anyone who um, comes in live to talk to me to discuss the findings, or I'll just uh, witter on myself uh, to, to, to talk about it and reflect upon what this... Um, this new tool means for teachers and teaching. If you want to join me live at that point, then please do so. So I think today's show will be very complimentary to a show that Tom Rogers did on January the 10th, when he invited a number of guests to talk about how they use or envisioned using ChatGPT and what they think this new tool means or uh, for teaching and for education. Uh, for homework and for other things, really, and how it can be used for lesson plans, etc. I'm not going to retread that subject. I think I'm going to do something a little bit different, but I highly recommend listening to that show if you're interested in ChatGPT and what it means. So after the break, I'll be asking ChatGPT what it thinks about teaching and teachers and what advice it suggests to teachers to help deal with what it thinks are the major challenges they face. Uh, But first, here is the news. This show is brought to you in partnership with Jomcat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Strike action dominates the news again, with a range of outlets reporting on disputes across England, Wales and Scotland. Whilst the NASUWT union reported 9 out of 10 teachers who voted in a ballot overpay voted in favour of strike action in England and Wales, 
the union also reported only a 42% turnout. This is below the threshold needed for lawful strike action. The union stated that whilst a strike would now not go ahead, the union remains in formal dispute with the government. The NEU is yet to release the results of its ballot and will also need to reach the 50% member turnout needed for lawful industrial action. In Scotland, the Scottish Secondary Teachers Association has warned of further strike action following walkouts by primary and secondary staff. It says it has no option unless the Scottish Government puts forward a suitable pay offer. The AIS Union and Scottish NASUWT members also aim to continue with strike action until an agreement is reached. Scottish Education Secretary Shirley-Ann Somerville maintains that the demand for a 10% pay rise continues to be unaffordable. Meanwhile, the University and College Union has announced 15 new strike days planned across 150 UK universities in February and March. It has said that a pay offer worth between 4 and 5% made during recent talks is not enough, although the group representing university employers says that the offer is actually worth up to 7%. This comes after the government announced that tuition fees in England will be frozen for another two years. Although this is good news for students, the strikes mean more disruption to courses already affected by the pandemic. However, the National Union of Students has been broadly supportive of the industrial action, at least so far. Away from strike action, there have been further stories focusing on what should be taught in schools. This time, the focus is on educating pupils in the dangers of social media in spreading messages that are misogynistic and deeply toxic. The HuffPost website reports on Labour MP Alex Davy-Jones, who called in Parliament for ministers to do more to stamp out Andrew Tate-style misogyny and to stop boys being brainwashed. The MP asked what was being done to tackle radicalisation of young men. But PM Rishi Sunak responded that he was proud that this government launched the world-leading, world-first online safety bill. He also made reference to the Autumn Statement announcement of £2 billion of extra funding to schools. Although he did not respond with any direct reference to Tate, the online safety bill is expected to complete its final stages in the Commons shortly, before heading to the House of Lords. New figures released recently show that school absences in December were almost double the annual rate and that this was due to illness. The absence rate, as reported in the Evening Standard, was 14.3% across state schools in the week beginning December the 12th, an increase from 7.8% across the year. The Department for Education in England said the increase was due to a rise in sick days as a result of winter illnesses such as flu, as well as COVID-19 and strep A infections such as scarlet fever. In the Channel Island of Jersey, BBC News reports that the government has brought in 11 UK supply teachers to cover for absent staff. The short-term and long-term measures have been put in place due to staffing shortages and the supply teachers will cover for up to two terms. Short-term housing has been organised for those travelling to the island. The Jersey government said the current vacancy rate for Jersey was 4.3% but that the long-term plan was to train, recruit, retain and upskill school staff. Finally, the Meanwhile in the Middle East section of the CNN website reports on the United Arab Emirates' plan to become the first Arab nation to teach about the Holocaust in its schools. 
the move has been praised by some and criticised by others. The nation revealed its plans in a recent tweet and intends to include Holocaust education in both primary and secondary schools. The UAE says it will work with Tel Aviv and Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Jerusalem, to help build the new curriculum. Whilst many see the move as part of the normalisation of relations with Israel, critics suggest that it does not reflect all of those living in the UAE, with many disagreeing with this policy. Full details of the story can be found on the CNN website, with comments on both sides explored in detail. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, let's start the new year with investigating the power of artificial intelligence in education. A lot of people are asking, does your school block chat GPT? First of all, what is it? Chat Generative Pre-trained Transformer, or GPT for short, is a piece of software designed to mimic talking to a person. The difference is, this person is super clever, and it's been trained by thousands of conversations in the past, and it remembers them all. There are lots of chatbots out there. GPT is popular with young people as the answers it gives are not only correct, but can be slightly different each time, so it's more difficult for a teacher to spot a copy and paste homework. Let's put it to the test with a couple of school questions. I'm using a screen reader to represent ChatGPT to give it a voice. Responses are usually in text and appear as if they're being typed really quickly. I asked, what are the registers in a processor? And I got... Registers are a type of memory that is built into the central processing unit, CPU, of a computer. They are used to store data and instructions that the CPU needs to access quickly in order to perform its functions. There are different types of registers, each with a specific purpose. For example, the instruction register stores the current instruction that the CPU is executing, while the program counter register stores the address of the next instruction to be executed. I'll stop GPT there as three paragraphs were given in this answer, and it's only a one or two mark question. So I asked, can you tell me in two sentences? And I got... Registers are small, high-speed memory units built into the central processing unit, CPU, of a computer that are used to store data and instructions. They allow the CPU to access and manipulate data and instructions quickly, enabling it to carry out complex tasks at high speeds. Well, thank you, GPT. That's much more to the point. Powerful, right? How about, can you summarise Of Mice and Men? Of Mice and Men is a novella by John Steinbeck, published in 1937. It tells the story of George Milton and Lenny Small, two distinct branch workers during the Great Depression in California. Despite their apparent differences, the two men are deeply bonded and rely on each other for companionship and support. The novella ends tragically when Lenny, a simple-minded man with a love for soft things, accidentally kills a ranch owner's wife while trying to touch a soft dress, and George is forced to make the difficult decision to euthanize Lenny before he can be punished for the crime. That's fantastic. However, there's some words in there that are quite big, and my teacher would be quite suspicious that I copied and pasted it. So I'll ask, can you summarise Of Mice and Men simply? Of Mice and Men is a story about two ranch workers, George and Lenny, who are travelling together and looking for work during the Great Depression. Lenny is a large, simple-minded man with a love for soft things, and George is his caretaker and protector. Despite their differences, the two men are deeply bonded and rely on each other for companionship and support. However, their relationship is ultimately tested when Lenny accidentally kills a ranch owner's wife, and George is forced to make a difficult decision to protect Lenny from the consequences of his actions. That's more like it. Now my homework's done, I think I just bought myself some more time on my games console. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So welcome back, everyone. You're listening to The Morning Break on Teachers Talk Radio. My name is Graham Stanley. If you'd like to join me live, then I'd love to hear from you, especially if you have been using what Steve Woods was talking about there, chat GPT, the chatbot produced by OpenAI, and which threatens to disrupt education because of the very articulate answers it can produce 
about any subject you asked about it, answered as it produces in a matter of seconds. Rather than talk about it today, I've decided to try to show what it can do, asking it to tell us what it thinks about teaching. And that way we should be able to decide how accurate it is. So let's move straight on to asking ChatGPT about the challenges teachers face. Good morning, Mia. Thank you for joining me today and for representing ChatGPT. Am I right in thinking that all of the views you expressed today are actually those held by ChatGPT, the new AI that everyone's talking about? Good morning and yes, that's right, Graham. Although it annoys me that everyone is talking about ChatGPT as AI, as artificial intelligence. You and I know that real artificial intelligence is a long way off and ChatGPT isn't capable of independent thought. Still, we are stuck with it, I think. Yes, of course. I, th I think you're right, Mia. Um, it, it is something that people are talking about as being AI, as being artificial intelligence, but it isn't really, is it? It's uh, it's something a little, more, a little bit more automatic than that. But I think you're right. I don't think there's anything we can do about that. So, Mia, without further ado, I'd like, on behalf of Teachers Talk Radio, to hear what you think about teachers and teaching. So let's start with a with an easy question. Why would someone choose to be a teacher, for example? What benefits are there and what are the downsides to teaching? Someone might choose to be a teacher because they have a passion for helping others learn and a desire to make a positive impact in the lives of students. They may also be drawn to the opportunity to and shape young minds and to be a role model for their students. Some benefits of being a teacher include making a difference. Teachers have the ability to make a positive impact on the lives of their students and help shape their future. There's also professional growth. Teaching provides opportunities for professional growth and development, such as attending professional development workshops and conferences. Then there are the flexible working schedules that teachers have. Many teachers have summers off, which can provide flexibility for travel or pursuing other interests. Another important factor for many teachers is job security. Teaching is a stable career with a consistent demand for qualified educators. Something about teaching that cannot be overlooked is personal satisfaction. Teaching can be a fulfilling and rewarding profession, as teachers have the opportunity to see the direct impact of their efforts on the success of their students. However, being a teacher can also come with some downsides. Teachers can be exposed to a lot of stress. They often have a heavy workload, which can include lesson planning, grading, and other administrative tasks. Many teachers have limited autonomy, I mean in terms of curriculum and classroom management. Teachers often put in long hours, including time spent outside of the classroom on planning, grading and other tasks. We can't forget the limited pay. A teacher's salary is usually lower than other professions with similar qualifications. Finally, there's emotional exhaustion. Teachers may experience emotional exhaustion from dealing with the daily challenges of the classroom and students' personal lives. Thank you very much, Mia, for that uh, summary of um, of what being a teacher can, can mean. Um, and um, it's quite an impressive answer, so thank you very much. What I want to do now, though, is, is ask you a bit more of a challenging question. And that is a question about challenges that teachers face. So, so Mia, what are the most important challenges, the most difficult challenges that teachers face at the moment? What do you think they are? Some important challenges that teachers currently face, Graham, include the following. Incorporating technology and online learning into the classroom. 
meeting the diverse needs of students with different learning styles and backgrounds, managing and addressing student behavior and disciplinary issues, keeping up with changes in curriculum and educational policies, ensuring student engagement and motivation, balancing workload and finding time for lesson planning and preparation, keeping abreast of new research and best practices in education, and lastly, how COVID-19 pandemic impacts on virtual learning and the education system. That's very interesting, Mia. Um, so now I'm going to ask some of the, some invited guests that are, are, are very similar to yourself to expand upon each of these challenges in turn um, to see what kind of advice ChatGPT would, would give uh, with each of these challenges. So let's, Talk about the first one, um, which you said was incorporating technology and online learning in the classroom. That is a challenge that teachers are struggling with at the moment. And I have asked educational expert, educational technology expert Tim to speak about this. And a reminder to all that although Tim will be speaking, all of what he says are views expressed by ChatGPT. So welcome, Tim. Can you give us advice? Can you give teachers advice to help them incorporate technology and online learning into the classroom? Of course, Graham. So here are some practical tips for teachers to help them incorporate technology and online learning into the classroom. First of all, start small. Begin by incorporating technology into one or two lessons a week rather than trying to do too much at once. Next, technology should be used to enhance, not replace, traditional teaching methods. Use technology to supplement your existing lesson plans rather than trying to replace them entirely. Teachers should get to know the tools they're using. Before you start using technology in the room, take the time to learn how software works and what it can do. Teachers, you should provide students with clear instructions and expectations. Make sure they understand how to use the technology and what is expected of them when they are using it. Also, incorporate interactive activities. Use technology to create interactive activities that will keep students engaged and motivated. And teachers should use technology to differentiate instruction. You can use technology to create different versions of lessons for different student groups based on their needs and interests. Another suggestion is to provide students with opportunities for online collaboration. Encourage your students to work together on online projects and assignments. You should also give students a choice. For instance, allow students to use their own devices, if possible, and when using devices, be sure to provide instruction on how to use them. I think you can also use the technology to provide real-time feedback on student work in real time. Feedback is so important, as we all know. Finally, teachers can use technology to increase student engagement. In this way, lessons can be more interactive and engaging. Thank you, Tim. Um, that was quite an impressive list. Um, but quite some of the things that you were saying were quite superficial, uh, I think, so I'm going to investigate a little bit, a little bit more with a little bit more detail. I'd like you to speak a little bit more detail about one of those in particular. So you said um, a teacher should use technology to increase student engagement, to make lessons more interactive and engaging. Um, how exactly can a teacher use technology to do that, to make lessons more engaging? Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Tim? There are many ways that teachers can use technology to make lessons more interactive and engaging for students. Online quizzes and surveys, for example. 
Teachers can use online tools such as Google Forms or Kahoot to create quizzes and surveys that students can use during class. These are just a few of the most popular tools. Apart from the fact that surveys and quizzes are fun, these tools allow for real-time feedback and can be used to assess student understanding. Another tool that is still round, believe it or not, is the interactive whiteboard. Smart boards, as they are often referred to, can be used to create interactive lessons that include multimedia elements such as videos, images, and animations. Virtual and augmented reality is a more recent technology. Teachers can use VR and AR technology to create immersive and interactive learning experiences. For example, students can take virtual field trips or explore virtual environments related to the subject they are learning. I should also mention collaborative tools. Teachers can use collaborative tools such as Google Docs or apps such as Trello or Slack to facilitate group work and allow students to work together on projects and assignments in real time. Video conferencing is another important technology. Teachers can use video conferencing tools such as Zoom, Google Meet, or Microsoft Teams to create virtual classrooms where students can interact and collaborate in real time. Then there's gamification, which I can speak about at more length if you like. Teachers can use game-based learning platforms such as Kahoot, Quizlet, or Classcraft to make learning more interactive and engaging for students. Online simulations are useful too. These simulations can help students have hands-on experience with a topic or concept. For example, students can use simulations to learn about physics engineering, or economics. It's important to remember that technology is just a tool, and it should be used in a way that enhances instruction and learning, not just for the sake of using technology. It's also important to consider the availability and accessibility of technology for all students, and to have a plan in place for students who may not have access to the technology or internet at home. Okay, thank you, Tim. That that was interesting, and uh, it's, um, it's quite it's quite interesting to see just how ChatGPT can go into subjects with a little bit more detail and provide um, quite a lot of background information that it uh, can uh, get from what it has uh, um, available to it. I'm going to ask you, Tim, to speak a little bit more about another subject that you mentioned there Um you uh, suggested that teachers use gamification. So I'm going to ask you to speak a little bit about gamification. So let's see what you think, what ChatGPT thinks about gamification and why teachers should be interested in it. Now, I'm going to start not really arguing with ChatGPT, but, but actually starting to disagree with some of the findings and see how it reacts. Because I don't know if any of you listeners have seen this, but once you start disagreeing with some of the facts that GPT, ChatGPT puts in front of you, then it starts um, correcting and correcting itself. And actually, uh, you can get to the point where it will actually... Um, if you disagree that something is actually right, you can actually get it to agree with you and adjust what the answers are. It sounds very strange, but there are examples, for example, of some someone interrogating ChatGPT and um, with the answer, sorry, the answer to the question 10 plus 10 equals 20, and then disagreeing and saying, no, 10 plus 10 is 25. And then having ChatGPT actually agree with you that 10 plus 10 is 25. I'm not sure how um, how good that is, but it does show that ChatGPT definitely has 
a an ability to correct what it says, but not to produce factual information or to produce things that are actually false. So let's explore that a little bit. So, Tim, what is gamification? And isn't gamification just using points and leaderboards with students? And are there more sophisticated ways of using it in class? Gamification is the process of using game design elements in non-game contexts, such as education, to engage and motivate people to learn. It involves using elements such as points, badges, leaderboards, and competition to make learning more interactive and engaging. It also has the potential to increase motivation, engagement, and retention of information. There are different ways that teachers can use gamification in the classroom, and it's not limited to just using points and leaderboards. An example includes quizzes. Teachers can use game-based tools such as Kahoot and Quizlet to create interactive quizzes that make learning fun and engaging. Then there are game-based learning platforms. Teachers can use these learning platforms such as Classcraft and Dragonbox to create game-like learning experiences that align with the curriculum. Virtual worlds and simulations are another form of gamification. You can use virtual worlds and simulations to create immersive and interactive learning experiences. I'd like to mention game-like challenges too. Teachers can create scavenger hunts or turn their classrooms into escape rooms to make learning more fun and engaging. We shouldn't forget storytelling and role-playing either. Teachers can use these activities to make learning more engaging and interactive. Finally, rewards such as badges and certificates can motivate and engage students and provide feedback to help students track their progress. Overall, gamification can be an effective way to make learning more engaging and interactive and can increase motivation and retention of information. However, it's important to remember that gamification should be used in a way that aligns with the curriculum and enhances instruction and learning, not just for the sake of using games. It's also important to consider the accessibility of the technology and to have a plan in place for students who may not have access to technology or internet at home. Thanks, Tim. But some teachers are uncomfortable, for example, about gamification because it promotes a behaviorist approach to learning and teaching. Are they right to be worried about this? Gamification, as a concept, does draw some inspiration from behaviorist theories which propose that learning is the result of the reinforcement of certain behaviors. Some educators may express concern about using gamification in the classroom because it may be seen as promoting a behaviorist approach to learning and teaching, which emphasizes the reinforcement of certain behaviors and the use of rewards and punishments to shape student behavior. However, it's important to note that gamification can be used in a variety of ways and can be aligned with different learning theories. For example, it can be used to create more engaging and interactive lessons that align with constructivist or humanistic approaches to learning, which focus on student-centered and active learning. Additionally, it can be used to provide immediate feedback and positive reinforcement of students' efforts to improve their understanding of the material. Furthermore, it's important to remember that gamification is just one of the many tools that teachers can use to engage and motivate students. It can be a useful tool to create a more interactive and engaging learning experience, but it should be used in a way that aligns with the curriculum and the teacher's overall teaching philosophy. It's also important to consider the accessibility of the technology and to have a plan in place for students who may not have access to technology or internet at home. In conclusion, while some teachers may be concerned about the potential limitations of using a behaviorist approach in gamification, it can be used in a variety of ways and can be aligned with different learning theories. So, gamification can be a useful strategy for teachers to use with students. Thank you very much, Tim. And I don't know if you listeners are starting to pick up on this, but the more you go into details and ask ChatGPT um, about the details of a particular subject, the more you start to hear how it repeats itself, which is quite interesting. So there is a way of 
detecting, I think, at the moment, definitely that um, it is a chatbot actually replying or answering questions rather than uh, a person, which is is quite interesting. And it does uh, it does mean that if you are trying to detect whether students are using it, for example, you can there there are ways and means to do that. I'm not quite sure myself how to do that yet, but I do think it will be. It isn't as disruptive as I think um, we first thought. Anyway, moving on to the second of the eight challenges that teachers faced, Mia mentioned catering to students with different learning styles and backgrounds as a major challenge. And I have an expert on this, Jemima, with me now. Jemima, can you give practical advice to teachers to uh, so that you can help us with that? Yes, of course, Graham. In order to meet the diverse needs of students with different learning styles and backgrounds, teachers can use a variety of teaching methods. They can incorporate different teaching styles such as visual auditory and hands-on activities to cater to different learning styles. It's also important to differentiate instruction. Teachers can provide different levels of materials and activities to meet the needs of students with different abilities and backgrounds. Creating a positive learning environment is also important. Make sure you foster a positive and inclusive classroom culture where all students feel valued and respected. Use of technology is a good thing too. Utilize technology such as educational apps, videos and interactive games to engage students and provide multiple ways for them to learn. One important aspect you shouldn't forget is to encourage collaboration. Use group work and cooperative learning strategies to allow students to learn from each other and share their unique perspectives. Don't forget to provide support. Be available for extra help and provide support for students who may be struggling. I would also like to highlight communication with parents. Regularly communicate with parents and guardians to keep them informed of their child's progress and any concerns. Another important aspect is to reflect on your teaching practice. If you regularly reflect on your teaching practice and look for ways to improve your teaching strategies to better meet the diverse needs of your students, it will help. Thank you very much, Jemima. I was surprised to hear you mention learning styles, which seem to have fallen out of fashion recently. In fact, isn't there evidence that a teacher catering to different learning styles of students that that can be an actu actually a bad thing? Research on the effectiveness of catering to different learning styles, also known as learning styles theory, has been mixed. While some studies have found that catering to different learning styles can be beneficial for students, other research has suggested that it may not have a significant impact on student achievement. One critique of the learning style theory is that it suggests that students have a preferred way of learning that is fixed and that catering to that specific learning style is the best way to help them learn. However, evidence suggests that students are capable of learning through various modalities and that teaching should be multimodal. Additionally, catering to different learning styles can be time-consuming and can require additional resources which might not be feasible for teachers in certain settings. Furthermore, it can also lead to teachers to stereotype students. This can limit their own perception of the students' abilities and can be detrimental to their learning. In summary, 
Catering to different learning styles can be beneficial for some students but more research is needed to understand the best ways to do so. It is important to remember that students are capable of learning through various modalities and that teaching should be multimodal and inclusive. Additionally, it is important to be mindful of the resources and time that catering to different learning styles requires and to avoid stereotyping students based on their supposed learning style. Thank you very much, Jemima. So we're starting to see that if you are going to ask ChatGPT about a controversial subject, um, then it will generally, or it seems to generally agree with you. Um, and it will course correct if you argue against it, which is quite interesting. And I think this is interesting because learn, you know, catering to different learning styles is advice that ChatGPT provided us um, to one of the questions previously. And now it seems to be telling us that actually learning, you know, following or catering to different learning styles of students is not a good thing. So it doesn't seem to have an opinion. And of course it doesn't because it's a chatbot and it's just compiling information it finds based on what uh, what I'm asking it. But it does definitely seem to be trying to give me the information that I want to hear, which is a very interesting thing. And it's definitely something I'm going to explore a little bit more. But I'm going to extend this a little bit just by asking uh, ChatGPT to um, some a, a, to come up with a similar kind of um, argument to see how much it repeats itself. So basically, I started to ask it to do something similar. And it doesn't use exactly the same words, but it definitely provides the same information. So, Jemima, I don't want to labor the point, but isn't learning styles theory just pseudoscience? The concept of learning style theory suggests that individuals have preferred ways of learning and that learning can be optimized by catering to these specific styles. This theory has been popularized in education and is often used to explain the differences in student learning. However, there is a significant amount of evidence that suggests that learning style theory is not supported by scientific research. Many studies have shown that there is little to no correlation between learning styles and student performance. Some researchers argue that the theory is based on anecdotal evidence and lacks a solid scientific foundation. Furthermore, some studies have shown that students are capable of learning through various modalities and that teaching should be multimodal and inclusive. Additionally, the idea of learning styles can be limiting as it suggests that students have a fixed preferred way of learning which can lead to stereotyping students based on their supposed learning style. This can limit the teacher's perception of the student's abilities and can be detrimental to their learning. In conclusion, while it may be appealing to think that students have preferred ways of learning and that catering to these specific styles can improve their performance, there is little scientific evidence to support this theory. It is important to remember that students are capable of learning through various modalities and that teaching should be multimodal and inclusive. Thank you very much, Jemima. So I'm not going to interrogate any more, uh, you anymore on that because I think 
you're just going to come up with the same information, but repackaged and restated um, using pretty much the same arguments, I think, which is quite interesting. So I'm going to move on to the next challenge and invite Chad to answer that. So Chad, can you give practical advice to teachers to help them manage and address student behavior and disciplinary issues? Of course, Graham. First of all, teachers should establish clear expectations and rules. You need to clearly communicate and consistently enforce expectations and rules for behavior in your classroom. Next, use positive reinforcement. Reinforce positive behavior by praising and rewarding students when they exhibit appropriate behavior. Teachers should also address issues immediately. Address problematic behavior as soon as it occurs and intervene promptly to prevent it from escalating. Another thing to do is to use a consistent disciplinary process to address disciplinary issues and ensure that consequences are fair and appropriate. Don't forget to communicate with parents and guardians about their child's behavior and involve them in finding solutions to any issues. Also important is to build relationships with students. Building positive relationships with your students can help them feel more comfortable and willing to share any issues they may be experiencing. Another thing I recommend is to provide emotional to students who may be struggling with issues that may be affecting their behavior. It's also good to reflect on your practice. Reflect on your teaching practice and consider ways to modify your strategies to address disciplinary issues more effectively. Finally, seek professional development opportunities to improve your understanding of classroom management and strategies for addressing disciplinary issues. Thank you very much, Chad. That all sounds like sound advice, but um, can you give some examples of how teachers can apply this idea of positive reinforcement to affect behavior in the classroom? Positive reinforcement is a technique that can be used to shape and maintain desired behaviors in the classroom. It involves providing a desirable consequence following a desired behavior. Here are some examples of how teachers can apply positive reinforcement in the classroom. First of all, verbal praise can be used to recognize and acknowledge students for their positive behavior. For example, a teacher might say, great job working quietly during independent reading time. Tokens or stickers. Teachers can use tokens or stickers as a way to acknowledge and reward positive behavior. For example, a student might earn a sticker for turning in their homework on time. Next, classroom economy. A classroom economy can be set up where students earn points or money for positive behavior, which can then be exchanged for rewards such as extra recess or a preferred seat. Recognition boards are another useful strategy. A recognition board can be set up in the classroom where students' names are added for positive behavior, such as good participation or being a good helper. Teachers can also set up a reward system where students can earn rewards, such as a free homework pass for positive behavior. Positive notes can also be used. Teachers can write positive notes to students' parents or guardians to acknowledge and recognize positive behavior. Public recognition is my next recommended strategy. Teachers can publicly recognize students for positive behavior, such as calling their name in front of the class or announcing it to the school. It's important to keep in mind that positive reinforcement should be used consistently and in a way that is appropriate for the students and the behavior being reinforced. Also, it should be part of a larger classroom management strategy and not the only one used. Additionally, it's important to be mindful of the potential negative effects of rewards, such as decreased intrinsic motivation or creating competition among students. So interestingly enough, I think, Chad, um, you provide a lot of what I think are kind of behaviorist um, suggestions for dealing with classroom behavior, which makes sense. But also you, you do come up with a warning at the end as well, um, a kind of warning uh, 
to be careful of the negative effects of doing such kind of things, which is interesting. Now, I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about one of the other things that you mentioned there. How can a teacher effectively reflect on their practice? I would very interested to know what you uh, think a teacher can do to reflect um, on their teaching practice. So what do you suggest they to do? How would a teacher start to reflect on their practice, Charlie? Reflecting on one's practice is an essential step in becoming an effective teacher. Here are eight suggestions on how a teacher can effectively reflect on their practice. One, keep a reflective journal where you can record your thoughts and observations on your teaching practice. Reflect on what worked well and what didn't, what challenges you faced and what you learned from the experience. Two, seek feedback from students, colleagues and supervisors on your teaching practice. This can provide valuable insights into areas for improvement and strengths. Three, reflect on your goals for the class and student learning and how well you met them. Consider what you could have done differently to better achieve your goals. Four, observe other teachers in action whether it's in your own school or in other schools. Take note of their teaching strategies and how they manage their classrooms and reflect on how you might use similar strategies in your own teaching. Five, use data. Reflect on data such as student test scores, attendance, and engagement to understand how well your teaching practices are working and where you make changes. Six, reflect on your own learning as a teacher and consider what you need to learn to be more effective. Seven, reflect on students' needs. Reflect on the specific needs of your students and how well you're meeting them. Consider how you can better support their learning and engagement. Eight, reflect on the school culture. Thank you very much, Chad. I'm gonna move on to the next challenge that was presented right at the beginning of the show. And I would like to welcome Adama to give practical advice to teachers to help them Keep up with changes in curriculum and educational policies. How can teachers do that, Adama? Here is my advice, Graham. To begin with, keep informed of changes in curriculum and educational policies by regularly checking government websites, attending professional development workshops and conferences, and reading educational journals and publications. Next, collaborate with colleagues. Collaborate with other teachers and share resources and ideas for implementing new curriculum and policies. It's important to be flexible, be open to new ideas and be willing to adapt your teaching strategies to align with new curriculum and policies. Attend professional development opportunities to learn more about new curriculum and policies and how to implement them in your classroom. Use technology to your advantage. Utilize online resources and educational technology to stay up to date with curriculum changes and policies. Network with other educators. Join online groups or professional organizations to connect with other educators and stay informed about changes in the field. As mentioned previously, reflect on your practice. Regularly reflect on your teaching practice and consider how you can improve your instruction to align with new curriculum and policies. Finally, seek guidance from your school administration. Seek guidance and support from your school administration and use the resources provided by your district or school to stay informed about changes in curriculum and policies. Thank you very much, Adama. And there we have another thing which I think is quite interesting is that the language that ChatGPT uses is very much US-oriented, uh, so school district, school administration, I think, um, which is quite interesting. Uh, it makes sense, really, um, but it does mean that the more that we use this type of tool, the more we're going to be 
guided towards what kind of language we use. I think when it comes to any teachers in the UK, for example, trying to spot whether a student has used ChatGPT uh, to answer any questions, if that is taken into account when the questions for homework, for example, are are actually devised, then that, that might be something that can, can help um, avoid that. Now, moving on to the next piece of practical advice that ChatGPT will uh, suggest us for the challenge, let's have a look at the practical advice for teachers to help them ensure student engagement and motivation. And again, I think you're going to notice that there is quite a bit of repetition here uh, with some of the things we've already heard ChatGPT say. So I'm going to ask Tess to let us know about this advice for teachers to help them ensure student engagement and motivation. So, Graham, the first thing you should do is to use a variety of teaching methods. Incorporate different teaching styles such as visual, auditory and hands-on activities to engage students and cater to different learning styles. Next, make learning relevant. Connect the material you are teaching to real-life experiences and students' interests to make it more relevant and engaging. I'm not the only one to suggest this, but use technology. Utilize technology such as educational apps, videos, and interactive games to engage students and provide multiple ways for them to learn. It's also important to encourage student choice. Allow students to make choices in their learning, such as choosing the topic of a group project or the way they want to present their work. You should also provide opportunities for collaboration. Use group work and cooperative learning strategies to allow students to learn from each other and share their unique perspectives. Then provide positive feedback. Provide regular and specific feedback that is positive and constructive to motivate and encourage students. Set goals and give recognition. Set individual and class goals and recognize students when they achieve them. Be sure to create a positive classroom environment. Foster a positive and inclusive classroom culture where all students feel valued and respected. Finally, reflect on your teaching practice. Regularly reflect on your teaching practice and look for ways to improve your teaching strategies to better engage and motivate your students. So, thank you very much, Tess. Um, what Tess came up with again, there was quite a lot of repetition of what we heard before in some of the other challenges, which kind of makes sense to a certain extent. But I think it's quite annoying for me that it keeps coming back, ChatGPT keeps coming back to uh, learning styles, despite when I asked it to um, to reflect upon learning styles or to when I asked about learning styles and whether they were actually beneficial or detrimental to uh, uh, if you use that with students, it actually came up with the fact that it, it suggested that it could be uh, detrimental to use to use learning style theory with students. It still comes up with learning styles, catering to different learning styles as a suggestion, which seems to be contradictory to me, really. So why suggest something that you've told me previously is detrimental or could be detrimental based on the evidence that is available to use with students and yet you're still uh, suggesting I use it with students. That's quite an interesting uh, thing and when it comes to what 
how people use ChatGPT, this is an example of perhaps a way that if this is a tool that is some people are going to use to get advice, then it could be quite, it's quite worrying to me, I think, that the advice that it gives is um, contradictory, is not particularly good in some cases. So it's a kind of worrying scenario if it is something that I think some people will actually start using and relying upon tools such as this um, if they're not already doing so for actually getting advice on how to do something. And the advice that it provides is um, or could well be um, not very good. So I think there's something there that needs to be discussed further, but I don't think we have the time today to do that. If you are listening live and would like to come into the studio and talk about this or any of the other uh, things that have been brought up by what I've been talking about today, interrogating ChatGPT about challenges that teacher face, what you think uh, about what the uh, chatbot has actually come up with, then please do so. We've got about 10 minutes left and just a couple more challenges for ChatGPT to respond to. So please join me live in the studio if you'd like to to talk. However, um, in the meantime, I'm going to go on to the next challenge and I'm going to ask Ava to tell us or ask us about uh, the practical advice that ChatGPT can give teachers to help them balance workload and to find time for lesson planning and preparation, which ChatGPT thinks is another one of the challenges that teachers face today. I have nine suggestions for you, Graham. The first is, create a schedule. Create a schedule for your workday and week that includes time for lesson planning, preparation, and other tasks. Two, prioritize tasks based on their importance and urgency, and focus on the most important tasks first. Three, Set realistic goals for what you can accomplish in a day or week and don't overburden yourself. 4. Use technology to your advantage. Utilize technology such as online calendars, to-do lists, and productivity apps to help you manage your workload and stay organized. 5. Collaborate with other teachers to share resources and ideas, and divide tasks amongst each other. 6. Take regular breaks throughout the day to recharge and avoid burnout. 7. Take care of yourself. Make time for self-care activities such as exercise, reading, or socializing with friends and family to maintain a good work-life balance. 8. Reflect on your practice. Reflect on your teaching practice and look for ways to streamline your lesson planning and preparation to make it more efficient. 9. Seek support from your school administration. Seek guidance and support from your school administration and use the resources provided by your district or school to manage your workload. Thank you very much, Eva. And I think there isn't any advice there that I would disagree with. So I think all all good suggestions. But it is something that's quite interesting that um, it is very re- it will very readily provide advice uh, for any questions that you ask. So if you ask for advice, ChatGPT will provide it. And as I said before, we have a US based terminology being used there quite a lot which is quite interesting and 
I am not going to do it now, but if you do argue against some of that advice, then it will go back into its data and search for any information I think that um, will will actually prove itself wrong. So if I argued against any of that advice, I think ChatGPT would actually go away and try to find um, whether it was wrong about any of it and try to please me. So I think that's one of the things I've found in my uh, interrogation of this chatbot is that ChatGPT is definitely trying to give the answers that it thinks the person asking the questions wants to hear. And that, I think, is quite interesting. I think the only example of how it doesn't do that when it refuses to give an answer is when it's on a subject uh, that is either a taboo subject, it's not allowed uh, to actually uh, talk about it, I haven't asked ChatGPT about this, but I know that there are certain subjects that are taboo that it will flatly refuse to give uh, answers to, one of them being, for example, anything related to terrorist organizations or information that could be harmful for people, which I think is a, is a very good thing. I think this is one of the things that is quite interesting about the chatbot, ChatGPT, because previously chatbots have got themselves into all sorts of difficulties and problems and have been very controversial because they have learned from the input that users have given them. And uh, there are some trolls out there that have tried to actually seriously disrupt the input and actually provide a kind of um, bias to the chatbot that um, is very harmful just to show that that can be done. And I think it can be done with ChatGPT, but there are some controls built into the the actual chatbot this time to stop it from becoming, as I understand it, as controversial as chatbots have been previously. Again, I think it's something worth examining a bit further. I haven't done that yet, but it is something I would definitely like to look into and to understand exactly how it, how that works would be quite interesting. However, I don't think it 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 does mean that when it comes to non-controversial subjects that ChatGPT doesn't have some kind of bias. It obviously does. Um, to go back to it, keeping recommending uh, that I think about learning styles when actually interrogated about it it actually uh it agrees that the evidence for learning styles mean that a teacher should probably not um go there so i think that's quite interesting and um it's something that i'm definitely going to start exploring a little bit more of but now the there are two more subjects two more challenges that uh, were mentioned at the beginning so let's go on to those. I'd like to welcome Mia back to finish off today's advice. Mia, can you give practical advice to teachers to help them keep abreast of new research and best practices in education? I don't think there'll be anything controversial here. Of course, Graham. Teachers can first read educational journals and publications, 
read educational journals and publications such as Education Week, the Journal of Educational Research, and the Educational Forum to stay up to date on new research and best practices in education. Then, I recommend attending professional development workshops, conferences, and webinars to learn about new research and best practices in education. Also important is to join professional organizations, join professional organizations such as the International Society for Technology in Education, ISTE, and the National Council for Teachers of Mathematics, NCTM to stay informed about new research and best practices in education. You can also utilize online resources such as the EdTech Review, EdSurge, and EdTech Times to stay informed about new research and best practices in education technology. Don't forget to collaborate with colleagues. Collaborate with other teachers to share resources, ideas, and best practices. If you have time, participate in research. Participate in research studies or pilot programs to gain practical experience with new research and best practices in education. It's been mentioned before, but reflecting on your teaching practice and looking for ways to incorporate new research and best practices into your instruction is a valuable activity. Finally, Seek guidance and support from your school administration and use the resources provided by your district or school to stay informed about new research and best practices in education. Thank you very much, Mia. And again, we're seeing very US-centric answers there provided by ChatGPT, which um, I think is something that uh, if you're going to use this tool, I don't know whether you can get around that by asking it perhaps to provide the a kind of a different country's perspective or uh, on it that would be something i think i will definitely like to to try and uh, do by um, adjusting the input question which is of course the more sophisticated the input questions that you ask uh, this tool the better the answers are i think that's one of the things that's very interesting is that the more detailed uh, your question, the more interesting information you get from from the tool, which is uh, is good. So the last challenge, the final challenge and advice um, was about practical advice to help teachers deal with the COVID-19 pandemic, which impacts upon virtual learning and the education system. And here we have the following advice, uh, and I don't have a text-to-speech um, voice for this one. So I'm just going to read it out. So the advice is as followed. Be prepared. Be prepared to adapt to virtual and online learning and be familiar with the technology platforms and tools that will be used for remote instruction. Communicate with students and families. Communicate regularly with students and families to keep them informed of changes and updates to the virtual learning experience. All good so far. Set clear expectations and boundaries. Clearly communicate expectations and boundaries for virtual learning, such as attendance, participation, and deadlines. Use a variety of teaching methods. Incorporate different teaching styles, such as visual, auditory, and hands-on activities to engage students to cater to different learning styles. And there we have it again. It keeps coming back in, in a lot of these challenges. The advice that ChatGPT gives comes back to some of the same things. And I think this is something that you will notice um, with, um, with 
automatically provided responses from this chatbot is that you will start to see the same things being mentioned all of the time. It's certainly something that if you use it quite a lot, you do see. Next, number five, provide support for students. Provide support for students who may be struggling with the transition to virtual learning, such as additional office hours or tutoring. Six, address technical issues. Address technical issues promptly and provide support for students and families who may be experiencing technical difficulties. Ensure equity. Ensure that all students have access to the resources and technology needed for virtual learning and that the curriculum is inclusive and culturally responsive. Reflect on your practice. Reflect on your teaching practice and look for ways to improve your instruction and support students in a virtual learning environment. And again, it's all good um, good advice, but it does have a lot of repetition, as I'm sure you've started to realize from uh, the advice given by ChatGPT for all of these challenges. And finally, number nine, seek guidance from your school administration. Again, the US-centric um, terminology. Seek guidance and support from your school administration and use the resources provided by your district or school to manage the impact of the pandemic and virtual learning in the education system. So that brings us to the end of this experiment, this exercise, this interrogation of GPT. I have definitely learned a lot more about it uh, through doing this. I've learned, I think, um, some of the uh, things that I wondered about before I started this exercise, which was, you know, just how accurate the information was, what would happen uh, with information that I argued against, and also things like terminology and repetition, I think, uh, are quite clear here. So I, I hope if you got to the to this stage of the show that you've enjoyed it, and that you've learned a little bit more about ChatGPT. And I do recommend if you would like to explore it a bit further and you haven't listened to the show that was um, that was that Tom Rogers did on the 10th of January, then go back and definitely listen to a lot. Uh, there's a lot of guests talking about their use of ChatGPT and what they think it means for teaching and education, I really recommend that you go back and listen to that. And I do think that this is a subject that other uh, hosts on Teachers Talk Radio will be talking about as well. But for now, thank you very much for listening. And I will be back with a real live guest, I hope, next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.